All right, here it is, Blue Monday. Blue Monday. Oh, Blue Monday. Oh, I hate Blue Monday. Work like a slave all day. You know, I got a feeling that all you uh, dudes and dudettes out there listen to the show. I just got this bone feeling that you guys went out and partied your ass off this weekend. Am I right or am I wrong? I think I'm right because I know you folks. Especially you folks up here on dogsofwar.com. You folks over there in Nacogdoches, Texas, hell, you party all the damn time, so I ain't even talking about you. But I know a lot of you woke up Sunday morning with a head as big as a Volkswagen bus after partying Friday and Saturday night. Really bad. Was it worth it? I guess it was, because I know you do it every damn weekend, don't you? <laughs> All right, let's do a stroll here. This is geezer music. Yeah. I hope you're doing fine, Mr. Trade Martin. I hope you're doing just fine up here in New Jersey. Hey, speaking of New Jersey, I ran into a fellow gearhead this weekend while I was over at a car show, kind of rolling around in my car, and I uh, stopped and talked to this dude from New Jersey, and we're going to talk about him after the song's finished here. That's right, son. Sunday's a mess, so's Monday. You know, folks, like I said, I was uh, at a car show this weekend, had my car over there, and just was walking around, and I ran into this fellow over there. He was standing up next to this absolutely beautiful car. It was a convertible. It was painted a silver metallic with a black top. And I kept looking at this car, and I said, what the hell is this? What is this car? It, it kind of looked... In, it looked like a 57 Chevrolet. But then again, it was just too swoopy looking. I mean, you look at the thing, and it's already going 100 miles an hour. Just sitting there. So I walked up to this guy, and I introduced myself, and he introduced himself, and his name was Mr. Bob Hess. H-E-S-S, and he is from New Jersey. And he's down here in my state of Texas, kind of tooling around with that beautiful car pushing his product at the car shows. So we talked in length, and uh, I said, Bob, just what is this car? And what it is, after he explained it to me, he went through a whole litany of catalogs and things, pictures and stuff that he had there on the table. It was a modern-day Chevrolet Camaro. But Bob had developed a conversion package to make this car look like a 57 Chevy. And like I said, it was it was uh, so beautiful. And the way that conversion package connected with the Camaro body when it was all put together, it looked like that car was doing 100 miles an hour sitting still. 
And uh, he went on to tell me how he put this package together. And this kit that he put together that you can buy, any gearhead out there can buy it, will convert a 1993 through a 2002 Chevrolet Camaro. V8, V6. Doesn't make any difference. And this conversion will have your Camaro looking like a 57 Chevrolet. A very swoopy, like a very, I said, a very swoopy, fast-looking 57 Chevy. Now, the one I had to look at was, like I said, the Camaro convertible converted to his 57 Chevy. But this conversion package will work on either a convertible or a hardtop, if you will, or a T-top or coupe, or whatever you want to call those Camaros of those years, 93 to 2002. And he had another conversion package there, impressed the hell out of me as well. And this package converted in 1989 through a 1997 Ford Thunderbird or Mercury Cougar into a very eye-catching custom early shoebox Ford. Now, when you look at the front of this car, it's it's an early Ford shoebox car the front end everything the rear end same it's got the little oval tail lights the whole nine yards and it's on or converted from a 1989 to a 1997 ford t-bird or mercury cougar absolutely smashing looking cars absolutely this beautiful that's all i can say and the thing is guys and, and gals all you people out there that are gearheads this thing can be put together, and Bob said, a couple of weekends. If you're working during the week and you only have your weekends to mess with, he said, him and his son, when they when they put the first uh, few together, uh, just as trial runs, it took him a couple of weekends to do it. And he also said, if you purchase, if you purchase his conversion kit, he will help you any way he can through uh, on the phone. If you if you run into a problem or something, he said, but he doubts if you will, and it comes with a, a video on. From step one through the, the final final process, the whole nine yards. Now, all you guys and gals out there, like I said, that are interested in having something that is absolutely smashing looking, be the first one in your city, town, probably maybe state, to own one of these and cruise the street, cruise in your local uh, cruise ins or go to all your car shows or whatever and show this very snappy looking, swoopy looking, beautiful car off i suggest you go to www.easyrods.com that's www.easyrods that's one word e-a-s-y-r-o-d-s.com have a look around look at the gallery of camaros and t-birds and cougars that have already been converted by other folks that have purchased this kit you will not believe it and no this is not a commercial this is just getting the message out to gearheads. I'm one. And, uh, you know, I'm taking the time as part of my monologue today to get this information out to you. I think you will enjoy looking at it, if nothing else. But I know once you look at it, you will want to, you will want to give Bob a call and get the ball rolling. Get your own conversion kit. Get that sucker put together and hit the road, Toad, because it is a beautiful-looking machine. Now, we'll be right back after a few short messages. Don't consider this my monologue. It's just an info, info 
a bit of information for all you folks out there that are gearheads or just love beautiful looking cars that are one-offs and unique looking. Like I said, before we go to break, go up and look at www.easyrods.com. Have a look, and once you've looked at that, I'm pretty dang sure you're going to you're going to want to give Bob a call and discuss all the ins and outs of putting one of these beautiful machines together. We'll be right back after a few short messages. I was driving down the highway, texting my friend, telling her that I was going to be there in five minutes. I looked up and I realized I wasn't on the highway anymore, and I totaled my car. It doesn't matter if you're texting, if you have been drinking all night, if you're just changing, you know, trying to find the song that you want to listen to. Distracted driving is deadly driving. 80. 30. 50. Every mile brings us closer. 25. Every mile in a city near you. 75. Help us stop diabetes. 100. Join the Tour de Cure. 60. Register to ride. 36. Or sponsor a rider. 50. Call 1-888-DIABETES or visit us online at diabetes.org forward slash tour. How many miles will you ride? 25. Looky here, a new listener. Hey, this ain't your little sister's radio station. You are listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. You know, folks, down here in Texas, I don't care where you go in Texas. Uh, go buy a hamburger, go to Walmart, buy a car, or wherever. You're going to hear the. You're going to hear a lot of. Uh, Spanish. Sometimes that's all you're going to hear. You go into a store and and you you'll see two Spanish or two Mexican people, and as soon as uh, a gringo walks by, they'll stop talking in English and and go into their Spanish talk, start talking Spanish. Well, that's fine and good. I don't have any problem with that. You know, if I uh, often hoped. That if somebody came by that knew Japanese, I could uh, start talking to them in Japanese in front of these people. And change, go from my English to Japanese because I speak Japanese, a little bit of Japanese. And so, a little bit of German and a little bit of uh, a couple other languages. But anyway, i got to ask you fellow Americans, you know, just let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of the movement here in America to make the official language of our country English? I'm sure some of you have. But did you know that English is the official language of 51 nations and 21 states here in the United States? Last year, a Zogby International poll found that 85% of Americans supported making English the official language of all government operations. And even amongst Hispanics surveyed, 71% supported this idea. Now, this is nothing new. Many polls over the years have shown uh, similar numbers when asked the question. Speaking English is a guaranteed way for new immigrants here in the country to succeed in school, increase their earning potential, and enhance their career options. That's just a a no-brainer. Now, this nation decided a long time ago 
that you must know English to become a United States citizen. That's part of the deal. If you come into this country legally and want to get yourself converted into a U.S. citizen, you have to know English. That's part of the that's part of the law. So there is no reason to offer government services in foreign languages, right? No, no reason whatsoever. If you think of all the costs and all uh, the monies laid out by the federal government and private concerns, private businesses, etc., printing uh, instructions, printing voting ballots, etc., in uh, a foreign language, other and along with English, that's a lot of expense. Now, in the same way that the Pledge of Allegiance and the National Anthem bring this nation together, English is something that we share and should promote. That is part of America. It's a common language, English. That is part of the glue that holds us together. And we should promote that. And we should share it. Now, way back in 2001, the Supreme Court ruled that Martha Sandoval, a Mexican immigrant who had lived in the United States for 10 years without learning English, could not sue Alabama because the state did not offer foreign language driver's license test. She tried to sue him, and the Supreme Court said, you can't do it. This was a a decision made by the Supreme Court, like I said, way back in 2001, when this Mexican immigrant, probably illegal, Martha Sandoval, who had lived in the United States of America for 10 freaking years, didn't know a damn word of English. Supreme Court said, yeah, okay, Martha, you want us to uh, sue Alabama because the state did not offer foreign language driver's license test? You've been ten, here 10 years. You should have learned your English. You can't sue them. Now, other federal courts have held that there is no right to foreign language government forms, deportation notices, or civil service exams. There are 30 years worth of cases like this that have built up in the, in the courts of our, our court system. Now, both the courts and American citizens and immigrants have sent a clear message. We must unite our country behind our proud national language, English. Help new immigrants advance by learning it and save taxpayer dollars, millions, probably billions of dollars, by making English our national language. Now, just what is... Official language, English. What is official English? Declaring English the official language means that official government business at all levels, all levels, state, county, city, must be conducted solely in English. This includes all public documents, records, legislation, and regulations, as well as hearings, official ceremonies, and public meetings. Now, official English legislation contains common sense exceptions permitting the use of languages other than English for such things as public health and safety services, judicial proceedings, foreign language instruction, and promotion of uh, tourism. Those are the exceptions. Now, way back in 1996, the the U.S. English movement was instrumental in getting past H.R. 123, The bill, Emerson English Language Empowerment Act of 1996, that was the bill, H.R. 123. That bill made English the official language of the United States government, passed in the House of Representatives with a bipartisan vote of 259 to 169. Unfortunately, the Senate did not act on the bill before the end of the session. 
Currently, U.S. English, that's the movement in this country to get English established as the official language, is working with Representative Steve King of Iowa and Senator Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma to help pass official English in the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. H.R. 997 and S-464, respectively, are pending in committee. Now, 31 states have some form of official English law. Most recently, Oklahoma passed official English legislation in 2010. Again, U.S. English, uh, that movement, and they are currently working in several states to pass measures that will enact new official English bills or strengthen existing legislation. They're working tirelessly at this, folks, because, like I said, English, English is the is part of the glue that holds we Americans together. It identifies us for who we are, the English language, part of the glue, like I said, that keeps us bound together. We're going to take a little time out for a few breaks in the station ID, and when we come back. We're going to talk more about this issue. It's a polarizing issue, I know, but I tell you what, as Americans. We need to discuss this because America needs something to grow, hold, grab hold of right now. And what better thing to do than to push the fact that we are Americans, we speak English, and I think every person in Congress should sh- sign on to this, every senator, every state representative. When we come back, we're going to talk more about it, so stand by. tuned in right now to Dogs of War Radio. You gotta take care of Texas, it's the only one we got. If you're way up the lump of them down and looking by, you gotta conserve water, keep the air clean. Take care of Texas, don't you know what I mean, y'all? Kevin Fowler here. Texans take great pride in keeping our air clean. Visit TakeCareOfTexas.org and take the pledge to help keep it that way. We'll send you a free Texas State Park Guide. You gotta take care of Texas. It's the only one we got. Sponsored by the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show on the GAL Network. Conservative talk from South Texas. Now getting back to making English the official language of the United States of America. Like I said, there's a lot of states that have passed some kind of law to kind of make it the official language. But the thing I don't think we understand is that nobody is really pushing it that hard. Now, April 9th of 2015, this not not too, a few days ago, West Virginia Senate did not did not follow the lead of the House of Delegates there in West Virginia. They did not follow the lead and pass Bill HB 3019, making English the official language, the official state language of West Virginia. The bill received overwhelmingly bipartisan support in the House, reflecting a groundswell of popular interest and support from West Virginia's residents throughout the state. 87% of West Virginians support adopting English as the official state language. And the bill passed the House with an 88-member voting yes, with only four no. But when it got up to the upper level, and they voted on it, and the Senate took up the bill, they didn't pass it. They didn't pass it. So they've got to go back 
and they've got to try it again somewhere during the session, the session of uh, 2015. That's a shame that the, the, the West Virginian Senate, I don't know what makeup it is as far as liberals and our Republicans and Democrats, but they, they should have looked at the stat, the state, the people of the state, 87% overwhelmingly want the state to adopt English as the official state language. But for some reason, the Senate, they squashed it. They put the bill down. They said, no way. Now, if we look at April 7th, 2015, again, just a few days ago, Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, announced today that he, that day that he was seeking the Republican presidential nomination. As a presidential candidate began, as they all began their campaigns, it is important to recognize how divisive and polarizing our political discourse has become in the United States. Now, this is understandable in a healthy democracy with competing values and policy options, but it is still important that we all encourage our elected officials to find common ground in order to promote the greater good. That is why U.S. English, uh, the U.S. English movement commends Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, for his enthusiastic support for making English the official language of the United States. He signed on. He said, yeah, he'll support it. So I would suggest the other likes of uh, maybe Senator from my state of Texas, Mr. Ted Cruz, he gets on board with this. He gets out in front with this. He makes it part of his uh, run for the White House. Now, Senator Ted Cruz... From my state, again, a conservative, a, a, a patriot, he needs, he needs to get on board with this. And we need to get this passed in the House and the Senate, making English the official language of the United States of America as far as doing business with federal government, state, federal, uh, local, whatever government. And you know, patriots, as your congressman or senator, if they support, ask them if they support official language, English language. Ask them if they do. Ask them if they support English as the official language used for government business at all levels. And if they don't, ask them why. Now, you can join the movement and help get this up front to all Americans and get get the word out to your senator and your congressman that you want this to happen. Now, you can go to www.us-english.org. www.us us-english.org. Join up. Join up with them. It's a big, huge movement in the United States, and I'm sure that they will respect and want all the uh, comments and want all the American people, if possible, to join up with these people and push English as the official language in the United States. Now, coming up after the break, it's going to be Oh, I don't know. We're going to be talking about Americans chipping in just a little bit, just a little bit, not much more than you normally chip in when it comes to uh, helping out a cause. Chip in and just just a little bit more than you know, normally do out of your paycheck and help out some people who desperately need a break from the hard work they are doing for we the people. Now, I know you can do that. 
This is, this is a movement that we've got to help these people. They are working tirelessly to help America. They're working tirelessly. They're standing up for us all over the country, all over the world, and we need to, to help these people get out get out from underneath all the doldrums of D.C. and all the responsibilities they have and, and, and give them a, a, just a little bit more money out of our paychecks to help them break get, get a break from the hard work they are doing for America. You know, get them on a vacation or something. They need a vacation. They need a trip. They need to get away from Washington, D.C. We'll be right back after a few short messages. You are listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show on Restoration Radio, United Kingdom, Freedom in America Radio.us, and Freedom in America Radio.com. We'll be right back. More than 2 million Americans have served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and the Department of Veterans Affairs reports that approximately 11 to 20 percent of those warriors may have experienced symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. As we recognize PTSD Awareness Month, Real Warriors campaign volunteer Meg Mitchum, a former Army combat medic who served in Iraq, encourages fellow warriors to reach out when they need help. The hardest step was admitting that I needed help coping with PTSD. Once I did, my command and unit fully supported me, and I was able to get the care I needed. Getting support helped me succeed in the military and now in my civilian career. If you or a loved one is coping with an invisible wound, resources are available and they work. For more information, visit the Real Warriors campaign at realwarriors.net or call 866-966-1020. What if you got rewarded for every good decision? What if your heart had a special way of letting you know it appreciates your healthy choices? I've got to get my family to eat more vegetables. Amazing! And instead of cooking with butter tonight, I think I'll saute our veggies with a heart-healthy oil. You're a genius! So really, would your food choices pay off in heart health? Did you know that when you replace bad fats with healthier fats, like those in canola or other vegetable oils, it can lower bad cholesterol levels? And that's good for your heart. Here's a winning idea. Take up the challenge for good health, because the you of the future will say, Fantastic! Learn more at heart.org slash face the fats. Canola Info proudly supports the American Heart Association's Face the Fats campaign. Hey, I'm going to dedicate this song to all you folks that listen to Coast to Coast, all you UFO fanatics. Bring you a special bulletin. This is the your song. The of a flying saucer hovering over the city have been confirmed. The flying saucers are real. That was the Clatters recording. Too real. We switch you now to our on-the-spot reporter downtown. Come on, baby, let's go down. Take it away, John Cameron Cameron. Uh, this is John Cameron Cameron downtown. Uh, pardon me, madam, would you tell our audience what would you do if the saucer were to land? Duck, duck in the alley! Thank you. Another thing, gentlemen, there. What I'm gonna do 
is hard to tell. Hey, the gentleman with the guitar, what would you do, sir? Would just take a walk down the street. Thank you. We return you now. was the Pelican's Outer Space recording Earth. I've just been handed a bulletin. The flying saucer has just landed. We switch you again downtown. Uh, here we are again. We have with us Professor Sir Cedric Fentingmold of the British Institute. And the professor is approaching the saucer to see if there's possibly any sign of life aboard. Well, I'm sure something. Are you there? I hear you now. That was Lapping Lewis's record, Knocking. This is John Cameron Cameron on the spot. And now I believe we're about to hear the words of the first spaceman ever to land on Earth. And now, here are the bowl scores. Four to three, six to two, and eight to one. The impact of seeing the first spaceman has this reporter reeling. Here I go. That was the Clatters again, with their big one, Ha-Oh! This is John Cameron Cameron again downtown. The spaceman has returned to his ship and is taking off. We return you now to our studios. The flying saucer has gone. There is no threat of an invasion. However, the flying saucers are still around. not going to interrupt this record. Yes, we are. The flying saucer has landed again. Washington, the Secretary of Defense has just said... That was Skinny Dynamo's record. That's a shame. The Aziz John Cameron Cameron Part 2. Gathered around me are several of the spacemen. Tell us, have you come to conquer the world? And now would you repeat that in English? Don't want the world to have and hold. Hey, why don't you go back where you came from? Don't be angry and drive me away. We return you now to our studios. Here is a news item from Washington. The president has just issued a statement to the spaceman, and we quote. You can do anything for me, half of my balloons, wait, you. That was Pa Gherkin's record, Shoes. We switch you again downtown. This is John Cameron Cameron downtown. Uh, Professor Cedric of the British Institute, tell us, uh, how were the saucers able to land? Where do you see the motor cooled down, the heat went down? That was Huckleberry's recording, the motor cooled down. Uh, this is John Cameron Cameron again. I believe the spaceman has a final parting word. See you later, alligator. We return you now to our studios. The spacemen have gone again, but look to the skies. The saucers will always be there. Always be there. Goodbye, Earth people. There you go, folks. Geezer music brought to you by the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. That was a song that came out, guys, way back in the 50s. And it was just a uh, hodgepodge of songs or hits of the day put together with that little commentary and in between each song, using what some certain lyrics of each song kind of uh, emphasize what they were saying or not. 
about flying saucers. <laughs> and like I said, that's dedicated to all you folks that watch uh, Coast to Coast or listen to Coast Coast to Coast. And I don't know if any of you folks ever listen to Coast Coast on the radio after midnight, but they one of their main subjects up there quite a bit. They talk quite a bit about UFOs, unidentified flying object, flying objects, UFOs. Been around ever since I was uh, knee high to a grasshopper. UFOs. And according to television, ancient alien shows and all that, they've been around since day one. Who knows who they are, what they are, if they're things that those things really exist, or they have pictures and all this other stuff. So I don't know, they probably do. But it's just another bunch of illegal aliens trying to figure out a way to get into the United States. And they've taken it upon themselves to, I mean, they just fly their flying saucer. They don't go traipsing across the border. They just land wherever they want. UFOs, illegal aliens. Is that the new set of illegal aliens that we're going to have to deal with? Who knows? But you know, ladies and gentlemen, getting back to talking about what I was talking about before break, helping these people out that have just been uh, just been overwhelmed, swamped with pressure and, and, and all kinds of jobs and stuff they've got to do for the country and they, they've just been beat to death they they need a vacation and I, I pleaded with you before the break to see see your way to give a few more dollars out of your billfold or your purse just send it up to D.C. to help these folks out they need a break and uh, who am I talking about I'm, t- I'm talking about the Obamas now the Obamas are taking vacations and golf trips on the taxpayer's dime. And I ask you folks, have you had enough of this? Or do you feel that maybe we should send some more money up to them to help them take more trips? After all, they're busting their buns to help us, right? Now, the Obamas are known for taking vacation, lots of them, between golfing and extravagant outings and parties, much of it on the taxpayer's dime. At least one group, along with members of Congress, have had enough and are attempting to put a stop to it. That'll be the day. Us folks that know what's, you know, what Congress, they say one thing. They blow smoke up America's kazoo all the time, but they never really do anything. But they'll beat on their chest and say, well, uh, yellow's Obama's there, there. They be taking all kinds of them day vacations and golfing and all that stuff and all that extravagance and going out and buying all them Great big bottles of wine and hauling all them relatives of theirs over to Spain and playing golf here and there and taking Air Force One up to D.C. just to have a dinner or two. We got a big stop in all that there stuff. And they'll be saying it all the time, but they never do anything. But there is a group out there, Judicial Watch. They put their money where their mouth is. And they filed a lawsuit to request documents in an attempt to verify if the White House's story that the Obamas paid their own expenses during a whirlwind tour, a luxury tour of Spain, or if it was funded by the American taxpayer. Judicial Watch says, hey, show us the papers. Show us the information. Show us the proof that you all paid for it and the taxpayers didn't. Now, the lawsuit was filed way back in March of 2010. And even though courts have ordered the Obamas to release expense records, it appears that they, they've determined they're above the law and aren't required to follow such orders, at least not yet. Now, this tra- trip to Spain 
It was taken by Moochie, Michelle, and her daughters. It was pure extravagance. Even dining with the king and the queen for lunch and traveling through coastal towns, burning money left and right without a doubt. Your money, my money. No matter what they say, it was, they aren't going to spend their money. They're going to spend the taxpayers' money whenever they can, and they're going to spend it like drunken sailors. The entire vacation to Spain was mostly kept secret, or as secret as possible, between the secrecy of the trip and the unwillingness to prove that they paid their own way, why wouldn't they release the documents to those who request them? Just to say, here you are, you know. We paid our way, here you are. Sounds pretty guilty to the average American, wouldn't you agree? The flight and security expenses for such trips, at the very least, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Those numbers are often they often rise over the million dollar mark depending on the length and stay and the location where these people are flying off to. Now Judicial Watch has also filed suit to obtain detailed information about an Obama fa- uh, family skiing trip, a, sp- a vacation I guess, taken in Aspen, Colorado. I remember reading about that, do you? It should also be noted that the Obama family vacation to Africa way back in 2013, racked up a $10 million bill between, between flight and security expenses alone. $10 million for flight and security expenses alone. Your money, my money. So the question must be asked by the American people. Did Obama, did Barack Hussein Obama Jr. de Sissi run for presidency? in order to take virtually unlimited extravagant vacations, which appears to be completely paid for by the American citizens who he's supposed to be serving. What do you think? You know, if he were doing his job, like fighting the greatest terror threat the West has ever seen, and making sound foreign policy decisions, as well as straightening up the mess back home, perhaps these kinds of inquiries would be few and far between. But we all know Obama hates America. He he hates the American people. And he's doing everything he can to change America. He told us that way back in 2008. And in the meantime, between changes and hating America and uh, siding up or saddling up with his buddies over there in Iran and holding the Christians' feet to the fire and coming down on them at every opportunity. In between all of that, I guess that he considers that his work. He takes all these extravagant vacations, all these golfing outings. And who pays for it? We the people. We the people pay for it. You know, the American people are willing to reward presidents who are actually doing a job, who are actually interested in serving America's best interest. But that's simply far from the truth with the Obamas. They have a lot of answering to do. And thankfully, we have groups like Judicial Watch who won't give up on the fight to hold them accountable. You know, ladies and gentlemen, these people have been fleecing the American taxpayers since their first day in office. America, then, are not only robbing we the people, they're not only robbing us blind, Living like king and queen, they are doing it with big smiles on their face. They constantly preach to the great unwashed, we the people. We have to live within our means, yet when they want to party, they do it. They take out our tax money, 
and you take it and run with it. Head for the hills, go on vacations, go on a big ga- uh, golf outing. Are you tired of this America? Are you? Have you had enough? If you have, call your Congress, congressmen and senators and tell them to put a stop to this. Call Mr. Ted Cruz. Call his office and tell him he has to put this out front of the American people. He has to make that part of his campaign. Call Rand Paul. Tell him the same. Call Marco Rubio. Tell him the same. Remember, America, these two in the White House have never been and never will be proud of America. You can count on that. They've told us that many times. They've done it through their actions. They've done it through their words. They've, they, uh, they've turned their back on the American people. Why should we foot the bill? Why, as we hard-working Americans who bust our buns every day, foot the bill for these two lazy individuals who hate America, hate the way America uh, operates, doesn't like America and what we stand for, why should we foot the bill for them to fly off and spend our money, our hard-earned tax money? It's not right, and we should bring this to the attention of our people who represent us in Washington, D.C. We'll be right back after the Phyllis Shafley Report. Stay tuned. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Mrs. Schlafly is an articulate spokesman in the media and before legislative committees on conservative and pro-family issues and was named one of the 100 most important women of the century by the Ladies' Home Journal. And now here's the president of Eagle Forum, Phyllis Schlafly. Feminists have been claiming that certain words and phrases are discriminatory, but a recent feminist list takes the prize for silliness. We've heard for decades that it's wrong to mention only the male gender. There's nothing new about feminists demanding that we use the clumsy he or she or replace chairman with chairperson. But now they've broadened their complaints. The phrase, you guys, is now discouraged at McAllister College, where students are told that such phrases have an oppressive impact on our culture. Duke University launched a campaign against Man Up, which supposedly implies that only men can be strong. And we've now been told that even the phrase founding fathers is sexist because it refers only to men, even though we all know that all the founding fathers actually were men. It used to be that you could avoid the scorn of the feminists if you mentioned both genders, but not anymore. The Women's Media Center says that even husband and wife and men and women are problem phrases unless you make sure to alternate which gender you mention first. Ladies and gentlemen is also out. The correct word, surprise, surprise, is gentlewomen. Other words are forbidden not because they themselves are sexist, but because they're supposedly used more often to describe women, and that's said to be degrading. Examples include aggressive, feisty, opinionated, and spirited. A simple Google search shows these words are used just as often about men, but the feminists take offense anyway. The feminists spend a lot of their energy attacking men as unnecessary and oppressive. They demand that we overthrow what they call the patriarchy. On the other hand, it obviously is pretty easy for feminists to claim they have been offended. 
The phrase, a choice, not an echo, comes from the title of Phyllis Schlafly's history-making book. The newly expanded anniversary edition documents how presidential candidates have been nominated for the last 50 years. Get your copy at a special discount at eagleforum.org. The stakes are higher than ever. So please go online to eagleforum.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Freedom in America. Freedom in America Radio Network, presenting the traditional view of the good old American dream that you won't hear about on the liberal media. Freedom in America. Yeah. And this is for all you staff members over there at dogsofwar.com. Hope you're having a great day. I feel so bad, I've got a worried mind. I'm so lonesome all the time. Since I left my baby behind on Blue Bayou. Saving nickels, saving dimes. Working till the sun don't shine. Looking forward to happier times on Blue Bayou. I'm going back someday. Boy, I remember cruising with that music coming out of my old AM and radio. Roy Orbison. Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Monday edition. And to be with some of my friends. Give a big shout out to Billy Van Horn. I'm going back that guy's working tirelessly to get his radio station up and running, and by gosh, he's done it. Good on you, Billy. Hope you're having a great day, Peaches. You know who you are. Hey, America, you know, it doesn't, it, it seems like there's never a day it goes by that we don't read a headline or we don't hear something on the news about somebody or some individuals or a group of people or a country or whatever is just fleecing the hell out of the taxpayers here in America. The latest news that I've seen on this that kind of relates to all what I'm just talking about is Puerto Ricans who can't speak English qualify as disabled for Social Security. Yeah, you heard that right. Puerto Ricans who can't speak a lick of English qualify as disabled for Social Security benefits. Hundreds of Puerto Ricans, hundreds of Puerto Rican residents, qualified for federal disability benefits in recent years because they lacked fluency in English. And this is according to our government auditors. 
Now, the Social Security Administration's Inspector General questioned the policy this last month in light of the fact that Spanish is the predominant language in the U.S. territory, Puerto Rico. Under Social Security regulations, individuals are considered less employable in the United States if they can't speak English, regardless of their work experience or level of education. In a month, in a report this month, the independent watchdog suggests that a more appropriate standard might be considered, might just be considered to kind of get take care of this flaw, I guess, in the law when making a benefit decisions. According to the latest United States Census Bureau and the data they put together, 95% of Puerto Rican residents above the age of five speak Spanish at home, and about 84% say they speak they do not speak any English or they don't speak it very well. The Inspector General noted that a nurse in Puerto Rico who speaks only Spanish could be considered unskilled under current Social Security standards. Now, a claimant's inability to communicate in English can lessen the relevance of work experience and education, potentially making it more likely the claimant will receive disability benefits. This was spelled out in the report. These auditors, these federal auditors, identified 218 cases between between the years 2011 and 2013 in which the Social Security Administration granted disability, granted disability status to Puerto Rican residents because of their existing because of the existing guidelines. The Inspector General recommended that the agency evaluate whether the rules are appropriate and determine the number of beneficiaries who have received disability status based on their inability to communicate in English. The Social Security Administration agreed with the proposals and said it is making preparations for a potential rule change, including by uh, gathering research and taking input from federal experts and the public. You know, America... Taxpayers, every time we turn around, we're being fleeced by somebody or some uh, inability for the people who operate all our agencies to recognize a flaw or a problem within the laws that govern such things as Social Security Administration identifying people of disability. Not being able to speak English is a disability. According to the laws right now in the books, yes, I guess. And after this, I imagine there's going to be millions of people come out of the woodwork and say, hey, I can only speak Spanish. I can only speak Chinese. I can only speak uh, Vietnamese. I can only speak Russian. The, you know, the folks that live in this country, some illegal, whatever, I want my benefits. I'm, I'm uh, disabled. And here we are, the American people who work our butts off every day. The fleecing of America. American taxpayers are paying for it all. And what do we get in return? We get a big nothing from our representatives. We get the proverbial finger from our congressmen and our senators. And all along, those that are not even citizens get taxpayer money funneled into their pocketbooks and purses. America, I've got to add, I've asked this so many, many times over the years. And all of this stuff is packing and stacking up. 
that is negative against our lifestyle, negative against our ability to take some money and put it in the bank and save it. We can't do it because we're too busy paying all this fleecing that's going on of our pocketbooks and billfolds by our federal government. Aren't you tired of this? Haven't you? Aren't you fed up with the way the government operates? Now I was talking to an individual this week last weekend, and that individual said, "I fed. I'm. I've completely had it with the government. I don't trust them. They need to be cleaned out. Every damn one of them." Where where do you come down on this, America? Where do you come down on it? Do you think the White House, Congress, needs to be cleaned out down to the every last individual there? And the only way we can do that right now is through voting, right? And the, the, the media and politicians have more or less admitted that they buy votes. The more money they have in the kitty to run their election campaigns on, the more money they have to buy votes. And how do they buy votes? By putting lies, put them, put them together as videos, put them on TV, whatever, making these politicians look like they're the greatest individuals that ever walked the face of the earth and what they're doing for their constituents and how they're working tirelessly to help America over the hump of a bad economy, whatever. That's how they fleece America. That's how politicians do it. They lie to us. They lie to us every day. And what's really sad, what is really sad, is a lot of Americans buy into it. You know, let's look at it this way. One day you get a knock on your door, and you open the door, and there's a guy standing there. He doesn't say anything to you. He just punches you in the mouth and knocks you flat ice on the floor. And as you... Laying there, blinking your eyes and looking at him, he's flipping you the finger and laughing at you and walks away. A couple of days later, you knock on the door, black eye and all. You open the door, bam! You get smacked right in the mouth again. Guy laughs at you, flips you the finger, and walks away. About a week later, another knock on the door. Are you going to open it? Are you going to peek out your window and see who's there? And if it's that guy out there waiting to bust you in the mouth again and give you the finger and laugh at you and walk away, what are you going to do? I would imagine you will call the cops. I imagine you can call the cops and say, hey, that guy I told you about, he's riding on my front doorstep right now. Come and get him. And as usual, the cops, they're busy. They're overburdened with other stuff. But eventually they get there. And the guy might be there. He might not. More than likely, he's gone. So what are you going to do? Every time there's a knock on the door, you're going to hide under your bed. Every time there's a knock on the door, you're going to run to the curtain and open it and say, well, I'd call the cops, but they just won't show up and do anything. That's the way Congress is doing us. They're knocking on our doors every day, busting us in the mouth, laughing at us, giving us the finger, and they know we won't do anything. They know there are not enough congressmen and senators that are involved on the right side of the law that will go after the rest. So we can't depend on them. So what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line? How do we clean out Congress? You know, the the question to that, or the answer to that question is, I don't have one. 
I don't have an answer. But yes, I do. Yes, I do have an answer. And it's probably going to get me in trouble. It's probably going to get me in a lot of trouble. But as a patriot, as an American citizen and taxpayer that has served my country for 31 years in places most people wouldn't want to send their dog, not just me, millions like me, people who bust their buns every day to run their small business, Christians who believe in their religion and their God, and all of us individuals that the federal government has turned its back on, I have an answer how we can get rid of them all. I have an answer. And I swear to God, there are certain people that listen to this show. You might have to come and bail me out. And I'm going to give you that answer. When we come back, when we come back from the Fox News break, but before we break for the Fox News on the hour, I would like to take this opportunity to thank all those individuals that sent me emails during the Easter holidays wishing me a blessed uh, Easter holiday, etc. I, I really appreciate it. I uh, thank you very much for that. My family, some of us sat down and read some of the emails and they, they were overwhelmed with, with some of the stuff that you folks sent us. And uh, I, I tried my best to get out as many as I could via Facebook uh, message and uh, through email to back answer all you folks. And I just want to say thank you again. My family thanks you. And uh, the people who run the show thank you. Now, in one of my earlier shows, I told you that I was going to have a couple of guests on the show that you've listened to their shows many, many times laughed at some of the trouble they get into, some of the things they get, uh, uh, I don't know, they uh, they figure out ways. No other human beings could, but these two guys, they figure out ways to get in trouble. When there's no way to do it, they'll figure out a way to do it. And you know who I'm talking about, Billy Bob and Carl. Those two crazy cowboys from South Texas live out there on a ranch down in, down in the county. Well, I told you that I was going to have them on the show sometime this coming week and we're going to do a little interview with him a couple of minutes and uh, I think I've got one of them to come on now the other one Carl is very bashful because he stutters and he's he's very aware of that problem and he, he's the only time that he can correct that problem stuttering and I hate to say this but it works is when he drinks a Lone Star beer. When he drinks a Lone Star beer, there for that brief moment in between beers, he can speak normally. But once the effect of that beer uh, goes away, he has to drink another one so he can continue talking normally without stuttering. Consequently, if you hold on any kind of a conversation with Carl over a period of a couple hours, he's going to get pie-eyed, sucking on Lone Star beer and talking normally. So he's he's told me, he said, uh, Mr. Gatehouse, I would love to be on your show. Now, this is me talking, not him, because he'd be stuttering. But I can't. I'll let, I'll let Billy Bob talk for me. So sometime during this week, either Wednesday or Friday, we're going to have Billy Bob on the air. Until then, we're going to take a break. Fox News on the hour, and we'll be right back.
You are listening to the Gary's Gatehouse Radio Show. Gary will be back after the Fox 5-Minute News break. Fox News Radio. I'm Ron Flatter. First came Republicans Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. Now the first major Democrat has joined the presidential race, the one who happens to be leading in national polls. Hillary Clinton making her run formal Sunday with a tweet and an online video. Even before she made it official, the former senator and secretary of state was considered the Democrat to beat for president. On her website, she said she's proud of how many Americans have bounced back from the recession. But the deck is still stacked in favor of those at the top. Everyday Americans need a champion, and I want to be that champion. Clinton is expected to hit the road this week, stopping in Iowa and New Hampshire, where the plan is to go to coffee shops and some homes to connect with voters. Fox News Radio's Grinnell Scott. Paul responded to Clinton's announcement by saying her foundation could do a better job screening its donations. She's taken money from countries that abuse the rights of women. In Saudi Arabia, a woman was raped by seven men. The woman was then publicly whipped, and then she was uh, arrested for being in the car with an unmarried man. Paul was on Face the Nation on CBS. Clinton resigned Sunday from her foundation's board in order to focus on her presidential run. Another would-be presidential candidate posting a preview video. This is about whether we are going to be the first generation of Americans to leave our children worse off than ourselves. Or the next generation that will allow them to inherit what they deserve. Republican Senator Marco Rubio expected to make his run formal Monday evening in Miami. The U.S. government says it was unsafe and unprofessional protesting the interception of an American spy plane by a Russian military jet last week. It happened in airspace over the Baltic Sea north of Poland. The Pentagon says it was last Tuesday when the Russian jet swooped a few times around the American plane. You're listening to Fox News Radio, fair and balanced. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times? When we were more active and ate more healthy foods, and you checked on me every once in a while. Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The Pope uses the word genocide, a polarizing reference to the massacre of Armenians a century ago. Pope Francis was joined by Armenia's Supreme Patriarch and other Armenian church leaders to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the mass killings of Armenians, when Armenia was still under the control of the Turkish Ottoman Empire. To this day, the Turkish authorities deny that genocide took place. 
Ankara has always claimed that those killed were armed Armenian partisans. The Pope used his sermon during the commemoration mass to put the Armenian massacres firmly on the pages of history, calling it the first modern-day genocide. Turkey has called his remarks inappropriate and one-sided. Sky News reporter Julie Hyde-Mew. A passenger was killed at Walt Disney World in Florida when a Lamborghini crashed into a guardrail. The drivers suffered minor injuries. Republican critics are questioning this weekend's meeting in Panama between the presidents of the U.S. and Cuba. Ending decades of silence between the U.S. and the island nation, Cuban President Raul Castro and President Obama putting the past behind them during the historic meeting. It's the first time there has been substantive talks in more than 50 years. The leaders acknowledging it will take time to rebuild a relationship. President Castro pointing to the fact ties became severed before Obama's presidency. I'm very emotional when I talk about the revolution. I apologize to him because President Obama had no responsibility with this. He has no responsibility with this. A reaction was swift critics questioning the president's priorities. The U.S. has not removed Cuba from its list of countries that sponsor terrorism, but the president did say he's reviewing it. Fox's Elizabeth Pran in Washington. Texan Jordan Spieth wins the Masters in Georgia. I'm Ron Platter, Fox News Radio. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Monday edition. And we'll be right back after a few short messages. Gary's still got an hour to go. Stand by. And oh, by the way, this second half, you might want to lock and load. I'm Marie Osmond. Choices. Some are minor, others life-changing. But what if your small choices matter the most, like the stairs or the elevator, baked or fried? What if these small choices determine if you'll be the one out of every three women who die of heart disease this year? These choices might not seem life-changing today, but women are dying of heart disease at the rate of almost one per minute. Luckily, it's mostly preventable. Choose to act. Our hearts, our choice. Make your choice at GoRedForWomen.org. Hey, don't you ever wish you was in some some exotic place on some big exotic island, maybe Hawaii or somewhere with the hula skirts and all those exotic birds and exotic rums and drinks and Pacific breeze blowing through your hair? <laughs> well, here I am down in Texas, and it is hot as some exotic island. I tell you, the humidity is... My God, it's 97%. Makes me think I'm back in Vietnam, back in a bush or something. You know, you look outside, we haven't seen any sunshine. I guess, I don't know, I don't know if Texas is, hasn't paid its sunshine utility bill or what. We haven't seen sunshine. God, I think I'm in London or something. I lived in England, folks, for over almost 10 years, pretty close to 10 years. And to see the sun in all its glory was... Uh, well, he write, wrote songs about it. Here comes the sun, little darling. You know? And uh, Texas is always just boiling over with sun. But it isn't, hasn't been for close to a month now. Cloudy and dreary looking and raining. And 
God, I think we're turning into the tropics or something here. I don't know. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, before the break, I told you that uh, there is a way. There is a way to get rid of all those individuals in Congress. If nothing else, there is a way to shake them the hell up to the point where they will start doing the job that they raised their right hand and swore they would do under oath. Protect the country, the security of the country inside and outside the border. That's the main job of Congress. That's the main job is to protect the country and they're not doing it. All you folks that think everything's just, oh, I don't know, to quote a German over in Frankfurt, hunkadori? No, it's not. It's not. Everything is 100% cool here in the United States. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on threatening the very security of the United States. One being that our borders are porous as they can possibly be. It's a sieve. They're just coming across our southern borders from the south, from Mexico, from South America, from Western Europe, Eastern Europe, from everywhere in droves. And now we're being warned that the new wave is knocking at the door. The new wave of illegals coming to this country and Obama's standing up here with his hands stretched out like the Savior to all illegals saying, Come on over. Yo, come on down. I got you covered. I got my pen, I got my phone, and I'm going to take care of you. Ah, I'm going to get the amnesty. And here they come. Second round, third round, fourth round, whatever round it is. And we, the American people, sit here. Poll after poll says that 80, 85, 90% of the American people want this to stop. Want it to stop. But Obama and Congress, the do-nothing Congress, they don't do a damn thing about it. And all the while, and you can bet your boots on this, all the while, ISIS is sending people across the southern border. We can't catch them all. We don't have anybody down there that's paying attention. Here they come across the southern border, and they go out, and they go out into mid-America or wherever, and establish their little cell, waiting for that day when they'll get that phone call and say it's time. Then all hell's going to break loose. You know it, and I know it. Us folks that pay attention know this is going to happen. It might not happen tomorrow or next week, but it's going to happen. And who are we going to lay at fault? Lay at the feet of the folks that have refused, refused to act upon all this and to take care of this as part of the oath they took in office, security of the United States, from enemies within and outside our border, and they're not doing it. They are not doing it. They are not doing their job. They get up there and blow smoke. Boehner and McConnell and the rest of the do-nothing Republican leadership, they get up there day after day and they say, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. People ran on the fact that they were going to shut the border down and get rid of all these folks that are in here illegally. They ran a lot of them on that alone in 2014. None of them have done it. And here we sit, the American people. 
We people who pay attention, we people who know that this is a threat to the very way of life here in this country, economically and security-wise, the very threat is the individuals that come across our border illegally in the millions, in the millions, in the droves. They come across with no respect for America, no respect for Americans, no respect for our laws, no respect for our Constitution. Well, I can say that about Congress as well. They do not have any respect whatsoever for the Constitution of the United States. And I, and like I said, here we Americans sit and we're wondering how can we get this under control? How can we get these individuals up to speed, if you will, on how disenchanted and how we feel so disenfranchised from the very laws and the Constitution that's supposed to apply to everybody? How do we feel as Americans? I ask you, how do we feel? I know how I feel. I feel I'm fed up with it. It's like we are fourth-class citizens. We, the people of the United States, how can we take care of this? Before the break, I told you that what I'm getting ready to say might make some people very uncomfortable. Might make some people come looking for me. I don't know. But let's visit back around, oh, 1760, 1770, somewhere in there, in our country, before it was the United States of America, still the colonies, still part of Great Britain. And the people, the colonists at that time, are getting very disenchanted with the way the king was handling all the rules, regulations, and laws pertaining to the colonists in America. The colonists were getting very perturbed. They were getting riled up. And they, too, couldn't figure out a way to get this all turned around, to get things sort of squared up. But there were some individuals within the colonies that had the right ideas. They knew what they were going to have to do. They tried everything else. They tried protests. They tried town halls, they tried writing letters, they tried going to their governors and talking to them about the situation and how they were being treated, the colonists fell on deaf ears. Fell on deaf ears of the king, fell on deaf ears of the people, the overseers of the colonists in the colonies. And the colonists were being treated very, very bad. So these certain individuals I'm talking about got together, they had some town hall meetings, they had some secret meetings, and they all come up with the same conclusion. There's no way we're going to stop the king from treating us this way. There's no way in hell what we're doing right now is going to stop the king and make him realize that we are colonists on the same footing and same level as the people who are living in England. We're all the same folks. We shouldn't be treated the way we're being treated. We're outcasts. We're being taken for granted. The colonists knew it. And there became a leadership formed by a small cadre of men that believed in freedom, believed in the freedom of expression, freedom of speech, 
freedom of religion, etc. And they come to the conclusion, after everything was tried and did not succeed in even making the king even aware in any iota of the feelings of the colonists, they come to the conclusion the only way we're going to succeed is literally succeed from the iron fist of the king and from the rules and regulations and laws and the tyranny of the British government. That's the only way we're going to succeed and become a viable country of our own, a viable place where we can go after and express ourselves the way we want, practice our business and law the way we want. And you know the rest. You know the rest of the story. They didn't hobnob around and pat each other on the back and say, yeah, let's go out and tell everybody what we're going to do. Let's blow some smoke up their ass. Let's get a few pounds here and there stuck in farthings, stuck in our pockets, and we'll go off and be rich and just take them people to the cleaners, namely the colonists. No, the leaders didn't say that. They put their money where their mouth was. And the revolution was born. And the revolution was fought hot and heavy. It was fought with farmers. It was fought with people who were small business people that didn't know the first thing about a militia or about a military. But they were tired of being kicked in the teeth. And they stood shoulder to shoulder. And over a period of time, they defeated the most powerful army in the world, the British Army. Thus was born the United States of America. Thus was born the Constitution. Thus was born all the freedoms that we celebrate today. Thus was born everything that we cherish. I guess we still do anyway. And we sit here today, and we scratch our heads and we wonder, how are we going to wake these people up in D.C.? to the point where they're going to listen to us collectively as a people. We the people. How are we going to do it? Well, we have to look no further than what our ancestors, the founding fathers, did. Now, I'm not saying that we should pick up our pitchforks and start burning people in effigy and start a revolution of the type that happened in 1776. No, I'm not saying that. But I say this. We need to have a revolution. We need to stand shoulder to shoulder as Americans. I don't give a damn, a tinker's damn, if you're a Democrat, an independent, a liberal, a socialist, a, a Republican, whatever. If you're an American and you enjoy the freedoms that you exercise every day, if you enjoy watching your children going off to school and coming back without having to worry about them being taken off and thrown in a gulag or yourself being hauled off for something that you say like I'm saying right now. If you enjoy practicing being an American, it's not just going through the motions. There's some responsibility attached to every freaking American in the United States, young, middle-aged, and old. If you want to stand up in front of the world and say, I am an American, 
And if you know what America stands for, I'm fear I'm fear fearful to say that many Americans don't know what America stands for. Uh, I'm afraid they don't know, especially the young. What people there are that do understand, we need to stand shoulder to shoulder. And yes, if we need to march on D.C. or every state capital in the United States and express our heartfelt desire to get back on the main road again and get out of from underneath the boot of tyranny from the man in the White House and to get Congress back on the main road of being and representing Americans instead of every Tom, Dick, and Harry that isn't American. We're going to have to do something. We cannot continue. We cannot continue to blow smoke up each other's ass and think everything is going to be fine and all of these problems and all of these threats to our freedoms and our children and our grandchildren are just miraculously going to disappear because they're not Now you can have a boil on your arm and it can get bigger and bigger and you can look at it and say, I'm not doing anything. I just hope to God it goes away because I know it's painful. It's painful to go have that thing lanced and drained. I know it'll go away if I just just don't look at it. But it doesn't go away. It keeps getting bigger. Now America today has a huge boil growing on us, we the people. And that boil consists of a do-nothing Congress and a tyrant that lives in the White House. And all those individuals that say they represent we the people and they're not doing it. And that boil on America is getting huge. And the only way we're going to get that boil eradicated and done away with is to lance it with the truth. The truth that America is lazy. The truth that America don't give a damn anymore. I'm going to caveat that with saying most of us, not all of us. The truth that America is either going to have to stand up for itself against those inside and outside our border or forever hold our peace and watch this country disappear right in front of our eyes. Now, we're on the downward slope. We've already peaked and we're on the downward slope. And if we don't act real soon, if we do not wake Congress up, we are going to be finished as a nation. That is coming from the mouth of Gary Gatehouse, one who has observed this country for over 30 years, served it, and I've watched it go downhill year after year. And I'm not the only one that speaks those words. What is it, America? What is it going to be? Do you still believe in your country? Do you still believe we have the capability to stand up against all of those that would want to see this country disappear? Do you still believe that we have that capability? Do you still believe that we can act as our forefathers and our ancestors did? Stand shoulder to shoulder and tell those people up in Washington, D.C. that we've had enough. We've had enough. And you're either going to shape up 
or we're going to throw your asses out of Congress. This is Gary Gatehouse, and I'll be back. I'll be back at our Phyllis Schlafly Report. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Mrs. Schlafly is a leading spokesperson in many of our country's ongoing national debates and has become a clear voice for those who are seeking a return to traditional conservative values. And now, here's Phyllis Schlafly. You should know the name Saul Alinsky. Born in Chicago in 1909, he devoted his whole life to defeating the capitalist system and Western civilization. Alinsky and his followers want to replace our economy and system of government with their communist so-called utopian society. Of course, that system has proven a failure time and time again. Alinsky taught his followers to pretend they were working within the system, but only long enough to get the power they needed to destroy the capitalist system. He promoted deception as a weapon. So masterful was Alinsky at this deception that even today Alinskyites are completely blind to the tremendous opportunity for social and economic upward mobility in America, and instead they are determined to destroy the American way of life. Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were both trained in Saul Alinsky tactics. Obama not only followed Alinsky's tactics, but taught Alinsky method workshops for years. Hillary Clinton interviewed Saul Alinsky, wrote a 93-page thesis on his tactics, and was actually offered a job with Alinsky's training institute. David Horowitz brilliantly illustrates how the liberal ideal is always a failure. The left has tried several times over the years to institute these types of policies. They desperately tried to build a welfare utopia as part of President Lyndon Johnson's great society. But in the process, they destroyed the inner-city black family, left millions of black children fatherless, and created tremendous poverty. President Obama declared he wanted to fundamentally transform America, and we are in the middle of that battle at this very moment. The truth is that the leftists will say or do anything to create their so-called perfect socialist world. They are really trying to destroy the very best that the world has to offer, our great American nation. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Here at Eagle Forum, we continue to monitor the dangerous activities and liberal agendas of many school districts around the country. Will you help? At eagleforum.org, we've set up a forum for involved parents to share their questions, frustrations, and victories. Add your comments to the education blog at eagleforum.org. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. If you don't clean up your room, the Board of Health is going to condemn it. The Board of Health doesn't even know about your room. What's more, they don't care. You know, if you keep making that face, it's going to freeze that way. Not unless you're someplace really, really cold. Actually, a lot of the warnings moms hand out are a bit exaggerated. If you don't get your blood pressure checked, you could have high blood pressure, not even know it, and you could die from a stroke. But she's right about that one. Fact is, high blood pressure contributes to 200,000 American deaths each year. And a third of those who have high blood pressure don't know it. If they did... It'd be simple to treat. Call the American Heart Association at 1-800-AHA-USA-1 or visit AmericanHeart.org on the web to learn more. Better still, ask your doctor to check your blood pressure. If you run-
done with those scissors. It's the least you can do. Hi, I'm Paulette Carlson. Did you know that the Veterans Against Drugs program was started two decades ago to stop the senseless killing of our children because of drug abuse and violence? Sharing their experience of war, veterans understand and appreciate the value of each young life. Please join us as we work hand-in-hand with Vietnam Veterans of America and other veteran service organizations to provide the information our young people need to commit to life and become the future of our great nation. Visit us at VVA.org. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Hiya, folks. This is Billy Bob, and I'm smoking a cowboy cigarette, <coughs> cigarette, and I'm really enjoying it. Try one today. Fourteen dollars a pack. You can't beat them. Cowboy <coughs> cigarettes. Light them up. Put them out and light them up again. Dreaming, I'm always dreaming. Dreaming, love will be mine. Searching, I'm always searching. Hoping, someday I'll find someone, someone to love me. Someone who needs me But until then Well, I'll keep on dreaming Keep right on dreaming Dreaming Till my dreaming comes true Dreaming, I'm always dreaming. Dreaming, love will be mine. Searching, I'm always searching. Hoping, someday I'll find someone, someone to love me. Oh, someone who needs me But until then Well, I'll keep on dreaming Keep right on dreaming Dreaming Till my dreaming comes true You know, folks, there's a lot of people dreaming these days up in D.C., Seems like that's all they live on is their dreams, and those dreams, uh, I don't know, they're just repeated over and over, if you ask me. Dreaming. That should be the new theme song for the Republican leadership. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I was, like I was talking earlier, that the oath of office that the Congress takes and the President takes, and they swear on the Bible, I don't know what Obama swore on, a pile of sheets or, or a burqa or something, but... They swear that uh, they will protect the security of the United States and the security of the people of America. That's their main mission. Headline, and I don't think any news media outlet 
Fox or any of them has addressed this issue. But ladies and gentlemen, it is an issue and it's growing more every day. And for all you folks out there, all you learned folks from your Yale and Harvard and all you folks that got a college education, I've got one too. They don't make me feel special. But all you folks that feel special because you've got that piece of paper and you know everything, this is for you. China, I'm sure a lot of you don't know it, is a communist country. Chai Com, Communist China. Chinese communist. Of course, that don't mean a hell of beans to most people in America today. They don't even know what communism is about. Well, the communist Chinese now has and has had for some time and is expanding its blue water navy. When I say blue water navy, that means that they can go anywhere, any ocean, in their battleships, in their cruisers, in their submarines, just like the United States of America, they are a blue water navy. They're not. A, they're out of their rivers. They're out of their local area. They can go worldwide. Massive Chinese naval buildup. How many of you folks have heard anything about this? China has deployed a new high-speed anti-ship cruise missile. And is sharply expanding an armada, an armada of advanced guided missile warships and submarines. And this is all according to a naval intelligence report made public last Thursday. The Office of Naval Intelligence. I've worked with those people before. In its first unclassified assessment of the Chinese Navy in six years, has revealed deployment of the new YJ-18 supersonic anti-ship cruise missile on warships and submarines that analysts say pose a major, major threat to the United States and allied military vessels, naval vessels. Now, China's current naval force of 300 surface ships, submarines, amphibious ships, and missile-armed patrol craft is rapidly expanding. This is all in that report. According to that report, China began building or launched more than 60 naval ships and vessels last year alone. And a similar number of warships are under construction or deployed for the year 2015. Major improvements are occurring within naval aviation and the submarine force which are increasingly capable of striking targets hundreds of miles away from the Chinese mainland. That was in the report as well. And it added that despite some shortfalls, it is emerging as a well-equipped and competent naval force. The key focus of the Chinese Navy is anti-surface ship warfare through deployment of large numbers of advanced destroyers, frigates, and submarines supported by long-range over-the-horizon radar. The new YJ-18 cruise missile is deployed on the newest class of destroyer called the Lulang-3 and or diesel attack submarines known as the Songyang-class and nuclear-powered Shang-class attack submarines. Now these supersonic uh, missiles could be extremely difficult for United States and Allied ships to defend to defend against. 
The YJ-18 reportedly has a minimum or a maximum range of 111 miles at a speed of Mach 0.08 and a higher speed of 24 miles, and a higher range, excuse me, of 24 miles. The new missile is more capable and has a longer range than the current anti-ship cruise missile arsenal. Additionally, the report reveals that China... China's Coast Guard now has more ships and vessels than the combined Coast Guard forces of countries in the region. You know, folks, we're all embroiled in this thing with Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan and the Middle East, and rightly so. But all the while this is going on, China is quietly going about the business of developing and expanding its Blue Water Navy. Develop, developing its threats to our aircraft carriers, to our destroyers. Not just ours, but our allies as well. You know, it's the first time that the United States government has acknowledged China's deployment of the supersonic missile, which appears based on Russian SSN-27 Kalub cruise missiles. The report also says deployment of DF. 21D long-range anti-ship ballistic missiles will expand the attack range of the Chinese military further into the Philippines and the South China Sea. That's scary. That is scary. But you know, folks, further escalating tensions. The Chinese have reclaimed hundreds of acres of land. Last year, as part of a buildup of naval and maritime law enforcement operations in the South China Sea's Spartly Islands, together with cutting-edge second artillery force missiles developments and South China Sea island building, this rises as a serious risk for the U.S. and its allies. It really does. We are in the China Sea. We are in the Pacific. And with these new missiles... They could threaten not only our attack ships, but our our uh, aircraft carriers that house thousands of people and strike forces. If China envelops a dispute feature such as Second Thomas Shoal in a cabbage strategy with non-military Chinese personnel facing foreign forces backed by some of the world's most potent ballistic and cruise missiles, how will America respond? How will America respond? Washington needs an answer soon, or it will risk major erosion of its interest in that area and those of its allies, Australia, New Zealand, the Philippines, South Korea, Taiwan, Guam, Hawaii, just to name a few areas that are going to be threatened right now by the Chinese military navy. Chinese submarine force also has expanded rapidly. Currently, China has deployed 59 diesel submarines and 9 nuclear-powered submarines. And ONI estimates the number will increase to 63 and 11, respectively, by the year 2020. China's newest uh, submarine-launched anti-ship cruise missile, the YJ-18, extends a similar capability to the Songyang and Shang classes, the report said. Previously, China's only... Uh, sub-launched ASCM was the YJ-82, which has a very short range. This new YJ-18, like I said, 24 miles. The report also reveals that China has now deployed four Yin-class 
nuclear missile submarines that are expected to begin operational deployment in 2015. Now, Admiral William Gortney, commander of the U.S. Northern Command, he said earlier this week that China has three missile submarines in the water, and the U.S. Navy and our military is concerned, very concerned. Now, you know, ladies and gentlemen, other de- uh, key disclosures in this report included the NATO code name for China's J-10 fighter was is the Firebird. China's naval will likely emerge as one of China's most prolific unmanned aerial vehicles users. The Chinese Navy has 50,000 mines. China will likely conduct warship deployment to the Central and Eastern Pacific in the next five years. The PLA Navy made sporadic progress as integrated joint war fighting capabilities increase to, uh, continue to increase. America, this is a threat, again, just another one of the threats to we the people. But I want you to think about this, America, the next time, and I'm just as guilty as you are, so I can't say that that I'm not guilty because I am. The next time you purchase something that's made in communist China, remember this. With each purchase Americans make from things that are made in China, they are funding the build-up and the modernization of of communist China's military and Navy and Air Force with each purchase. The next time you buy something made in communist China, remember this. They are building up their military capabilities while that communist in the White House is dismantling ours piece by piece. Remember this as well. We have a communist in charge of our military, a person who hates America and everything it stands for, and looming in the wings is another communist that could not find her ass with both hands, and she has just announced her bid for the White House. And one more thing. Don't think for a a moment there aren't enough dolts, enough brainwashed, put women in the White House at any cost, that they will vote. They will vote. For this worthless line, no good snake, better known as Hillary Rotten Clinton. We will be back after a few short messages. In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much. Unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to walk. Talking, moving, walking, gone. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face, sudden trouble seeing, speaking, or understanding. If you experience this, call 911 immediately, because time lost is brain lost. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Know the facts about African Americans and stroke. To join the movement to stop stroke, visit strokeassociation.org today. Hi, I'm Charlie. I fight fires and I save lives. My name's Renee. I'm a cardiologist. I save lives. My name's Anthony. I'm an EMT. I save lives. You don't have to be a professional to save a life. Firefighters, doctors, and others save lives. You can, too. 
Don't wait. To learn more about the warning signs and how you can help prevent suicide, visit save.org. In a crisis, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Ladies and gentlemen, this war in which we're now engaged is not, cannot be, a war between America's two great political parties. As I've often said in the past, certainly the millions of loyal Americans have long voted the Democrat ticket. Love America just as much. They hate communism just as much as the average Republican. I'm not going to discuss politics tonight. I am going to discuss this war in which we've been engaged for 105 years. A war declared by Karl Marx in 1848, redeclared and brought down to date by Lenin, again redeclared by Stalin, and again redeclared by the Kremlin within the last five or six weeks. Keep in mind also, my good friends, that as of tonight, we are not winning this war. Keep in mind that 106 years ago, when this war was declared, you could number the active communists on the fingers of both your hands. Ninety-seven years later, in 1945, you couldn't number them on the fingers of both your hands. The number then was 180 million human souls. As of tonight, the 17th day of March, 1954, just eight years later, the figure is not 180 million. As of tonight, the figure is 800 million people. 800 million people in communist slavery. My good friends, no brutalitarian force has ever achieved that success before in the history of this world. Christianity in 2,000 years has not been that successful. So let's keep in mind, my good friends, that this is something not far from you, the people in this audience here tonight. Now, let's get down, if we may, to what we're doing about it today. As you know, some of us in Washington have been sent down there, men like that grand old man of the Senate, the great Democrat Pat McCarran, Men like Bill Jenner and others have been trying to slowly dig out and expose to the public view those who would destroy this nation. Now, you will see, you are seeing today, an all-out attempt to marshal the forces of the opposition, using not merely the communists, but the fellow travelers, the deluded liberals, the eggheads, and some of my good friends in both the Democrat and Republican Party, who can become heroes overnight in the eyes of the left-wing press if they will join in the join with the jackal pack. Now, what you will find is the all-out attempt to try and curb the powers of the investigating committee. Change the rules, if you please. Make it tougher to investigate communists than it is to expose crooks and dishonesty. When you hear when you hear this clamor as you're hearing it today, ask yourself this question. Why 
Why should it be more difficult? Why should it be made more difficult? Why should the rules be different in exposing treason and exposing trucker? I would like you tonight, if you don't mind, I would like to give you the names of some of the individuals who have appeared before our one-man committee. And keep in mind, when you talk about a one-man committee, as far as my committee is concerned, we have never, we've never held a single hearing which is objected to by a single senator on the committee. I would like to just pick at random the names of 20, if I may. And let me tell you what happened to those 20. All of them, at the time they appeared before our committee, at the time they were subpoenaed, let me say, at the time they were ordered to appear, they were either working for the government or they were working in defense plants which were handling secret and top-secret work. All of them, after they appeared before the committee, were either fired or suspended. Let's run through the names. W. Powell, Robert Goodwin, Edward Rothschild, Nathaniel Mills, Henry Archdeacon, Donald Morrill, Whittelod Pierkarski, R. Levine, Alexander Gregory, Theodore Pappas, Victor Bowles, Irving Perez, that name I imagine is familiar, Sidney Friedlander, Robert Northrup, Arthur Owens, Joseph Gebhardt, Emmanuel Fernandez, Gordon Belgrave, Dewey Bashir, Leo Kantrowitz. I just picked those at random, my good friends, to give you an idea of the some of the people who would still be in government tonight or in defense plants if the left-wingers had their way, if they could not have been dug out before the so-called one-man committee. I would like to read to you very briefly from a document, and you try and guess what this is as I read from it, would you? You, you try and guess what this is reading from. Uh, page 15. Say, so we, must, we must take part in any fights between Eisenhower and McCarthy. I'm not quoting this verbatim. I'm paraphrasing. It's too long to read. We have been derelict in our duty in not having taken part in those fights. Now I quote verbatim. Uh... We must direct the sharpest fire on any given issue against McCarthy, but we must be careful not to appear to support Eisenhower either. In other words, you get the idea? We must enter the fight. We must damn hell out of McCarthy, but be careful don't praise Ike. In other words, they don't like Ike either. Then, then they define the, the method, the method of the fight against the committees digging out communists. They say, refer to it as a struggle against witch-hunting investigations of the McCarthy-McCarran type of congressional committee. Defend the victims of McCarthyism. Then, in addition, there is the important direct attack upon McCarthy himself. And then they give the three aims, the three aims, one of the three aims, let me quote, to elect an anti-McCarthy Congress by defeating every McCarthy-McCarranite candidate especially singling out for defeat those who are incumbents and by electing a powerful block of conscious and determined fighters against McCarthyism. See, they're very nonpartisan. They say defeat the McCarran type of Democrat, the McCarthy type of Republican. Who do you think said this? September 1953, the main report delivered at the National Conference of the Communist Party of the United States of America. That's the party line. 
who set this party line? According to this communist booklet, it's Mr. Andrew Stevens. Well, I, I would like to tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that there is no Andrew Stevens. There is no Andrew Stevens. And I would like to challenge that communist party, which sets down the line to be followed by all communists throughout the United States. I would like to challenge them to tell us who this secret communist is who is so high in the party that he can set the line for the National Conference of the Communist Party, 1953. Of course, they won't do that. I might say the American people would be very, very much surprised, I'm sure, if you knew the identity of Andrew Stevens. There's only one Communist Party. The Communist Party that puts out this pamphlet setting the line for the Communists in the United States is the same Communist Party as the one that tells Fifth Amendment Communists how they should testify. It's the same Communist Party, if you please, that ordered American boys have their hands wired behind their backs and their brains blown out with Communist machine guns. It's one and the same party, my good friends. Now, there are those who say, well, it's all right to dig them out. But, oh, we don't like you men. Well, my good friends, up to this date, up to this very moment, none of those who have said they don't like the methods have told us any other method they could use that would be effective. And when you hear them crying that they don't like the methods, I suggest that you ask them when and where they ever exposed the communists by their methods. They say, when they say, you don't treat them like gentlemen... I'd like to ask them to take the 20, the 20 whom I've named to you. You say, don't give us general statements, my good friend. Say, pick out one of those cases and tell us where we ever mistreated any of those innocent communists. You know, it's so easy to make those general statements. And when they say you don't treat them like gentlemen, while we do, I might say that if we, if we did not, I would not cry for them. Treasures are not gentlemen, my good friends. They don't understand being treated like gentlemen. May I say to you, my good friends, tonight, to the American people, that I don't care. I don't give a tinker's dang how high or how low, how high or how low people in either the Republican or Democrat party, either party, are unhappy about our methods. This fight is going to go on as long as I am in the United States Senate. I've often been asked by some of my friends why, why I continue this contest when at times the odds seem very high against you. About 20 years ago, was more than that, 25 years ago, I was a chicken farmer back in Wisconsin. Since then, I have been given, I think, the highest honor that the people of a nation can give any man, namely, the job of representing them in the United States Senate. This nation, this country has been very good to me. I am extremely lucky also 
And that I have a wife who is interested in this fight and is willing to take all the abuse also. And I may say that the only way that I can repay my nation, the only way that I can keep faith with the people who have given me that high honor of manning the watchtowers of this nation, is to continue this fight, regardless of how deep the scars may be, regardless of how rough the fight may get. I know, I know that you, the members of the Irish Fellowship Club of Chicago, will believe me when I tell you that this fight is not going to stop. That was Senator McCarthy. And we all know, who us who pay attention to history, know who Joseph McCarthy is, what he stood for, what he did. And today we have two communists who made a joint appearance together, and they were speaking as one communist to another. Raul Castro, the first secretary of the Communist Party of Cuba, said today in a joint appearance with President Barack Hussein Obama Jr. de Sisi, that Obama was expressing what Castro felt about human rights and freedom of the press. He said, I think that what President Obama has just said is practically the same as we feel about the topics, including human rights, freedom of the press, Raul Castro said. We have said on previous occasions to some American friends, namely the Black Caucus, they went down there and adored him and kissed his feet, that we are willing to discuss every issue between the United States and Cuba. We are willing to discuss about those issues that I have mentioned and about many others as these both in Cuba but also in the United States. Now, according to Obama's State Department, Castro is the communist leader of an authoritarian communist government which abuses the human rights of its people and does not recognize or allow freedom of the press. Cuba is an authoritarian state led by Raul Castro, who is president of the Council of State and Council of Ministries, Communist Party, and the first secretary and commander-in-chief of security forces. This was said by the State Department Country Report on Human Rights in Cuba in, uh, for the year of 2013, which was published in 2014 and is the latest report available. The report said the Constitution recognizes that the Communist Party as the only legal party and the superior leading force of society of the state. This was said in the State Department report. A Communist Party candidacy commission pre-approved all candidates for the February uncontested National Assembly elections, which were neither free nor fair. The national leadership that included members of the military, maintained effective control over the security forces which committed human rights abuses against civil rights activists and other citizens alike. The Constitution provides for freedom of speech and press only in as far as it conforms to the aims of so socialist society, my way or the highway. And that was said by the State Department report as well. Law banning criticism of government leaders and distribution of anti-government propaganda carrying penalties ranging from three months to 15 years imprisonment. The government did not respect freedom of speech and press, severely restricted Internet access and maintained a monopoly on media outlets. 
circumscribed academic freedom and maintain significant restrictions on the ability of religious groups to meet and worship. Again, this was in that State Department report. Another State Department report dated 2013 Country Reports on Terrorism. Cuba has been supporting terrorists for decades. Cuba was designated as a state sponsor of terrorism in 1982. The the report states Cuba has long provided safe haven to members of Basque, Fatherland and Liberty, ETA, and the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the FARC. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's fast forward to current State Department stand on Cuban states sponsored of terrorism status and civil rights. Reuters is reporting that an aide to the United States Foreign Relations Committee said the State Department has recommended the state uh, sponsor of terror status of Cuba be revoked, a move apparently timed to coincide with President Barack Hussein Obama Jr. de Sissi's attendance at a summit of Latin American countries in Panama, where he is expected to kiss uh, uh, the leadership of Obama's of Cuba's ass, communist dictator Raúl Castro, the brother of Fidel Castro. Two communists meeting on, I guess, neutral ground. Our emphasis has been on the facts, Obama said on Thursday in Kingston, Jamaica. We want to make sure that given that this is a powerful tool to isolate those countries that genuinely do support terrorism, that when we make those designations, we get strong evidence that is in fact the case. Again, the United States Department has recommended that President Obama remove Cuba from the U.S. list of state sponsors of terrorism. This was a state Senate Foreign Relations Committee aide told Reuters this last Friday. State has recommended that Cuba be removed from the list. And he spoke within a condition of anonymity. So you got Castro and you got Obama. You've got Castro knowing that Obama got his ass kicked by the Iranians. Then Castro will do anything he damn well can to make himself look like the flower person and the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-savior individual. Maybe get another uh, award. Maybe get another uh, heads up and nod by the United Nations as the most respected man in the world. I don't know. His narcissism has got in the way of reality has got in the way of reality. And he is bending the rules. He's throwing America under the bus. He's throwing Cuban Americans under the bus. He's throwing our Constitution under the bus. He's throwing American values and American morals and America's upstanding in the world all under the bus. And it's just another sellout from one communist to another. Obama blinded by his narcissistic ambitions of just being one of the boys, one of the communist boys, one of the communist boys, one of the Muslim boys, one of the terrorist boys, one of the hate of America boys. That's all Obama wrapped up in a nutshell. He could give a rat's ass about Cuban Americans, about Americans, our grandchildren, our children, about us, about our beloved country, about the motherland. He could care freaking less. This is the same island that threatened to put us under, that housed Russian missiles pointed at the American people. 
This is the same island that has been ran by nothing but dictators since the overthrow when uh, Castro did that way back in the 50s and early 60s. This is a man who puts people in the gulag for speaking out against what uh, the communist country stands for. This is a man who puts people under the death warrant and the terrorism warrant and throws them in in gulags for speaking out for uh, religious rights and freedom of speech. The very same man that Obama's meeting with and the very same man that the State Department has recommended to be taken off the, the, the uh, terrorist uh, law or the terrorist uh, uh, list that we have. Very same man. And Obama's over there kissing his ass. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I said earlier in this show, and I used the word that started with an R, revolution. Either we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to do something because this man, in the next two years, is literally going to destroy our country. Literally. And by God, America, if you don't care, then we deserve what we get. We deserve what we get. What we can see through our being asleep at the wheel are not are not caring, are not paying attention. The chickens have come home to roost. And it looks very bad for America. Because we have a leader in the White House and we have a do nothing Congress. Do nothing Congress that is allowing this country to sink into oblivion. This is Gary Gatehouse with the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show Monday edition. I hope I've imparted some information to you that you can use, do some more analysis on, come to your own opinions. Until Wednesday, y'all have a great Monday, have a great Tuesday, and I'll be back again in front of the microphone Wednesday. Until then, this is Gary Gatehouse saying, Good day.